Well, good morning. <clears throat> if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 5. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 12. And if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me. This is our passage for this morning that we're going to be looking at. This is Jesus' words to his disciples. That's you and me. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Before you're seated, uh, pray with me. Holy God, thank you for your word. We need you this morning. We always need you. But I pray that you would make us aware of our need for you. And I pray that you would move in our hearts to show us your unsurpassing glory and worth so that persecution, suffering, whatever that may look like, pales in comparison to your love and your grace for us. We pray all these things in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Um, so, <clears throat> fun fact about me, I don't like reality TV pretty much at all. Um, it seems to be polarizing, so if you're one of the people who love it, I apologize. But I have one exception, and that is the Great British Baking Show, if, if that counts as reality TV. Um, not long after our first child was born, Brandy, my wife, begged me to watch this with her, and I don't care about baking or reality TV, but I decided I would watch one episode to repay her for giving birth to our daughter. Um, but inevitably, you know what happened, I fell in love with it. And um, if you don't know what the Great British Baking Show is, it's a baking competition. And there's a different th theme every week, like bread week or pastry week. And there's always three challenges. And then at the end of every episode, <clears throat> one person gets crowned star baker. There's actually no crown, but I think they say crowned. Um, and then one person gets eliminated. And like I said, I don't know or care much about baking, but something about that show just sucks me in. And by the end of every season, I'm just like... These guys are my best friends. Like, I feel, I feel like I know them, and I don't want to see any of them go. So Brandy and I are about halfway through the latest season, and what happens is from the get-go, you start sizing people up, and it's not even based on their baking, because if they made it up to the show, they're a good baker, so you're just like, that guy's kind of annoying, or like, she's cool, but she's probably a goner, but you start, like, picking the people that you like, and there's this girl... Um, who's been wearing a cross necklace. And so I'm thinking, cool, I'm going to root for the Christian. And then it occurred to me, because she's wearing a cross necklace two weeks in a row, that doesn't actually mean that she's a Christian. You just don't know because a cross used to be synonymous with Christianity, but now it's just a fashion symbol. So maybe this girl just thinks crosses are cool. Um, I won't give you any spoilers about how she does, um, 
but I can say I haven't found out anything about her faith. But the more you think about this phenomenon of crosses maybe having something to do with faith and maybe not, it gets weird because a cross is just a shape. It's basically a lowercase t. There's nothing all that cool about it. In fact, no one would care much about a cross at all if it weren't for the fact that Jesus died on a cross. And it's this strange phenomenon that a torture device has become a fashion accessory. And, and I, I mean, and it's kind of funny, like, like morbidly funny. And I started thinking, like, what if these charming British bakers showed up with pendants of, like, a noose or waterboarding or an electric chair? It, it's just not going to happen. <clears throat> We've kind of grown desensitized to the cross, but from the earliest days, Christ was associated with his persecution and his death. And he told his followers, not just once, but multiple times, that following him means persecution. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He said this before he was crucified. But Jesus presents this as a choice. We deny ourselves. We take up our cross. And in Luke 14, Jesus tells us that we have to count the cost of being his disciples. And what is the cost? In verse 33, Jesus says, Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's not a verse we cross-stitch on a pillow, is it? You don't, you don't find that one on the end cap in Lifeway. But today we're wrapping up our blessed or blessed sermon series, which means we've come to the end of the Beatitudes, to the culmination. So what do we get if we do all these things that we've been hearing Jesus inviting us to do? If we hunger and thirst for righteousness, if we mourn, if we're merciful and pure in heart, we get the kingdom of heaven. And when he says this, it's different from all the other promises because it's present tense. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's important to note in the, in the thinking, in Hebrew thinking, kingdom wasn't about a place or, or an empire. Kingdom had to do with reign. It means the king is God now and you are part of his kingdom, serving the true king. So we get the kingdom of heaven, but it also seems that we get persecution. So this morning, we've got to ask lots of questions. What does blessed mean again, since we've been talking about this? What does Jesus mean by persecution? Are we persecuted? And can we get the kingdom of heaven apart from persecution? There's lots of questions. So... Today, like I said, we're wrapping up the Blessed Sermon series, and it's wrapping up the intro to Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, the most famous and best sermon ever preached. It's often referred to as the Beatitudes, and that just comes from the Latin word for blessed or blessed, which is how all of the Beatitudes start. And in these statements, Jesus gives us a picture of the good life. And he also invites us to participate in it. 
So you've heard Pastor Tyler talk about Jesus, not just as a famous religious figure, but as a philosopher. And uh, he and I have both been reading this book, comparing Jesus to other famous Western philosophers. And you realize he was doing things that the other philosophers did. And he was revered in the same way that the other philosophers were. But he was the greatest philosopher who ever lived. Because he alone lived out what he taught without wavering. And he didn't just give us goals to try to attain. He attained them for us. He has more insight into the human heart than any philosopher before or since. Because everything, including humanity, was created through Jesus. So if the wisest man who's ever lived was going to tell you how you could live the good life... Wouldn't you want to listen? And wouldn't you want to understand it? And wouldn't you want to take it seriously? But few of us do take these words seriously. Some people see Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount as unattainable ideals. Well, that's, that's how Jesus lived. We can't do that. He did that for us. But there's nothing anywhere in Scripture that would suggest Jesus wasn't dead serious when he painted this picture of the good life and invited us into it. He was so serious about what he was saying that he was willing to die for it. So our passage this morning, like all of the Beatitudes, starts with the word blessed, which is makarios in Greek. And makarios can be translated as happy, and some, some versions of the Bible do that, but most scholars say that doesn't quite get at it. The New Testament scholar Jonathan Pennington translates it as flourishing. But it's important to point out that Jesus is not saying, if you do these things, you will flourish. Or if you do these things, God will bless you. These things are signs that you are flourishing, that you are blessed. This is what blessed people do. And in verse 10 of our passage, who is flourishing and living the good life? Those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Those who are persecuted. So I just want to ask, do you think that the persecuted are blessed? Do you think that the persecuted are flourishing? There's a sense in which we feel that what Jesus is saying isn't true, right? Because even the most devout Christian, if you ask them, what do you want for your children, for the people that you love? I don't think any devout Christian is praying, I hope that one day she will be persecuted. We want the kingdom of heaven, but we don't want the persecution. And I'm not trying to suggest for a minute that we're supposed to be like radical Islamist and go out and try to get persecuted. It's not what I'm saying. But I want you to really ask the question, why would we rejoice in persecution? Why would anyone sign up for this? That's the question. But when you hear the word persecuted or persecution, I don't know what comes to mind for you. Um, It might be that you think of being treated unfairly. 
Or maybe you think of the thousands of Christians in other parts of the world who are arrested or tortured or even killed for being Christians. But whatever you think of, that whole spectrum is included in the idea of persecution. The Greek word that we translate as persecute means to pursue. And it can have a positive or a negative connotation. It most often in scripture has a negative connotation, like an attacker pursuing a victim or a prosecutor pursuing the conviction of a defendant. But it's not always negative. In Philippians 3.14, if you grew up in church, it might be a verse that you're familiar with. Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The word that's translated press on toward is that Greek word that we translate persecute in Matthew 5. And it's worth noting that at the time that Jesus preached this sermon, there wasn't widespread persecution of Christ followers. Not yet. So we may read this now and think that he was talking only about torture and imprisonment and martyrdom. And Jesus certainly wasn't excluding those things because he himself was going to be persecuted and killed. And all of the apostles who remained faithful to Jesus went on to be persecuted and most of them were martyred. Jesus actually told them this was coming in Matthew 24. When Jesus is talking about the end of the age, he says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, he may have had these things in mind, but he was also probably speaking of something broader than that. Already, um, if you were a follower of Jesus when he was teaching, you were seen as sort of kooky at best and a heretic at worst. You weren't a real Jew. In verses 11 and 12 of today's text, Jesus elaborates on what he means in verse 10, probably because he realized that this would be the hardest beatitude for his followers to swallow. And the other verbs that occur in verses 10 through 12 have to do with speech. He says, blessed are you and others revile you, which is to be harshly criticized. Blessed are you and others utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. And this was already happening. In the Gospel of Luke, there's a similar teaching of Jesus that says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. So this sort of persecution is broader than just violence or legal action. But it's crucial to point out that we aren't blessed for being persecuted. The flourishing life is not people who are persecuted. The flourishing life belongs to people who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And Jesus says it a different, more specific way in verse 11 when he refers to those who are persecuted as those who are persecuted on his account, on Jesus' account. I read a book on the Beatitudes recently by a fairly well-known Christian author, and when he talked about this passage, he described a time that a stranger was a really big jerk to him and his wife. They didn't know who this man was, 
they had not had any interactions with him, but he did something that was cruel and scary to them. And so I'll read this and I think, um, did the author and his wife do anything to deserve this? No. Was this persecution? Yeah, in a broad sense it was. But was this persecution for righteousness sake? I'd have to say no, it wasn't. In fact, I was surprised that the author used this story as his illustration for Matthew 5.10. And I, I do want to say God deeply cares when we are mistreated, when we're wronged. We could preach multiple sermons on his heart for the brokenhearted and the destitute. In fact, his heart for justice is right here in the middle of the Beatitudes. But a stranger being a jerk to you is not the same as someone persecuting you specifically on account of Jesus. And I hope you see the difference. The kind of persecution that signifies a flourishing life is when we're persecuted for truly following Jesus. And uh, frankly, in other parts of the world, this is so commonplace that I thought, when I'm getting ready to preach, I'm just going to get on Voice of the Martyrs and find one of the stories that seems compelling to me and tell you about it. But I didn't even have to do that because last week I got an email from one of my seminary professors and he was asking for prayer for a pastor in the underground church in China. And this uh, pastor's name, they call him Preacher Dai, D-A-I. And I'm sure that's an alias. But... Preacher Dai and his family have been under house arrest since September 29th, so over a month now. They're being accused by government officials of being counter-revolutionary cult members. Preacher Dai reported that officials have conducted three DNA tests of his family in the last week and are becoming increasingly aggressive with his family members. In a few minutes, we're going to pause to pray for Preacher Dai. But for the moment, I want to highlight that he and his family are being persecuted on account of Jesus. And it almost feels wrong for me to say this in a comfortable Western church. But according to Jesus, Preacher Dai and his family are truly blessed. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And here I want to make a potentially controversial point. There was a time in our country when we enjoyed many privileges as Christians. Our scriptures were in schools and government institutions, and the Christian worldview was in the majority and enjoyed a time of privilege and even power. But those days are in decline. And our government no longer affirms our worldview. Our tax dollars no longer fund schools that uphold biblical principles. I could go on. But because my worldview is no longer the dominant worldview in our country, that does not mean that I'm being persecuted. I imagine if things continue to move on the trajectory that they're on, we may be faced with more and more choices that may result in persecution for righteousness sake. But I want you to consider that the parts of the world where the gospel is spreading most rapidly are the parts of the world where Christianity has never been affirmed as the majority worldview. 
So how do I discern when I'm experiencing persecution for righteousness sake versus not having my worldview affirmed by the majority? And I think Jesus gives us two ways to know right here in this text. And the first key, as we've said, is persecution for righteousness sake. And then in verse 11, Jesus equates this with persecution on account of himself. There is simply no righteousness apart from Christ. There is no righteous cause apart from Christ. In Romans 3, Paul quotes Psalm 14 saying, None is righteous, no, not one. If we have any righteousness at all, it is the righteousness of Christ that we receive when we put our faith in Christ. I'm not saying that there are not just and righteous causes that aren't overtly Christian, but I'm saying those flow from the righteousness of Christ. In John 15, 5, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So persecution for righteousness sake will always be, as Jesus says in verse 11, persecution that is on his account. The second way we can know we're actually being persecuted for righteousness sake is by how we respond to persecution. So when I was in grade school, I was bullied. Um, I was bullied for a long time in various ways, but the worst of it was when I was in fifth and sixth grade. Um, Are there any fifth or sixth graders here this morning? Okay, see a few of you. God have mercy on you. Um, I hope that you guys are not going through the things that I went through the chances are you're not because you're not nearly as dorky as I was. I was short. I was freckly. I had a thick Southern accent. I was awkward. And I wore a Batman t-shirt every single day. Um, so I was a target for bullies. And here's the thing you need to remember about bullies. Bullies only bully when they have an audience. That's something important to remember. But every day on the bus... My bullies had a captive audience. So I was made fun of, I was punched, I was pushed down, I was lied to, and I was lied about. And I always just shut down and froze, even though I was shaking and my heart was beating fast and my breathing was shallow, I just sat there. I wouldn't do or say anything. And every day I would get off the bus and zoom past my mom, And I never said anything to my parents about this. I don't know if it's because I was embarrassed or I didn't want to cry in front of them or I thought they wouldn't understand, but I never told them. But here's where the story gets good. When I would get to my room, I'd put in a public enemy cassette that I had high-speed dubbed from one of my friends. And uh, if you don't know what a cassette tape is, just ask your parents. Um, If you don't know who Public Enemy is... They were a rap group in the 80s and 90s, and they weren't the kind that got played between like MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice on the radio. At that time, this was the heaviest, angriest music I'd ever heard. And bear in mind, I was a fifth grade white kid, so I probably did not really understand what they were talking about. But still, it was the sound of something that I felt deep inside. So picture a little fifth grade mark, I'd go home, I'd put in my public enemy tape, and I kid you not, like every day, 
I would fantasize that public enemy is blasting and I am Batman and I am just mopping the floor with the jerks on my bus. So I was being persecuted, but I wasn't being persecuted for righteousness sake. I was persecuted for being a dork. Um, But I didn't want those kids to know Jesus. I wanted them to pay. I wanted vengeance. Every one of you has had someone make fun of you or misrepresent you or mistreat you. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Whether it's something from your childhood, a deep wound from your past, or maybe something that you're in right now where you just feel mistreated and misrepresented. What does that stir up in you? If you're anything like middle school Mark, whether you actually did anything or not, in your heart you wanted vengeance and you wanted them to be taught a lesson and you wanted to be vindicated. In fact, I imagine as I told my story, some of you felt that for me. But Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that is a great ideal, but it is so hard when you apply it to a real life situation. Jesus says in verse 11, that when we are persecuted on his account to rejoice and be glad. If you're becoming bitter and angry and vengeful, it is probably not persecution that you are suffering. Or at least not persecution for righteousness sake. I want you to look at how people who are persecuted for righteousness sake respond. In Acts 5, Peter and some of the other apostles were arrested for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in verse 40, it says, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer suffer dishonor for the name. Another way of saying for the name would be on his account. A couple chapters later, a follower of Jesus named Stephen, who was one of the first deacons, was arrested. He was falsely accused of speaking against Moses and God. And in response, he preached a great sermon that included Moses and God and how they pointed to the gospel. But with hard hearts, his accusers were filled with rage and drugged Stephen out of the city to stone him. And Acts 7 tells us, As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. How in the world, when you're being stoned to death, is the last prayer that you pray, don't hold this against them? And then we looked at Jesus himself. He was falsely accused. He was publicly berated and beaten to a pulp before hundreds of Roman soldiers. And all this before he was crucified publicly. And how did he respond? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
there is something that happens in the hearts of men and women when they are mistreated on account of Christ that they don't see through the lens of their rights and their desires. They see through the lens of the compassion of Jesus. So I want to come back now to preacher Dai in China, who this morning is under house arrest, who this morning is being persecuted. He asked for the prayers of the church, so I want us to honor him by praying. But I want you to hear what he wants us to pray for. Preacher Dai wrote that he and his family feel weak and powerless in the face of years of house arrest, confrontation, and persecution. And he asks us to pray especially for his family's protection. And we will certainly do that, won't we? But he also asks us to pray for the officials who are harassing him and his family. Especially one official who has been monitoring them for months named Sun, S-U-N. He writes, pray for Sun's heart to be softened from his hatred and rage against Christians and his bondage to the lies he's been told about believers. It makes me wonder, I was thinking this morning about this, when we get to heaven, we're all gonna wanna meet Paul. You know, maybe the most famous convert. There was a time when he was known for being the persecutor of Christians. But I wonder how many hundreds of people we will meet who said, he persecuted me. He arrested my dad. He had my sister stoned. And I prayed that Saul of Tarsus would come to know Jesus. We don't get to hear those stories. But the people who are persecuted for righteousness sake, they don't seek vengeance. They pray for their persecutors. Preacher dies facing persecution in a way probably none of us will ever know. And he wants us to pray for son who may be the main person responsible for making their lives so difficult. Friends, you don't have a heart like that when you're seeking your own interest. Only a heart that's transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, a heart that is truly blessed, can have that sort of compassion for someone inflicting this much persecution. So let's take a moment. This isn't the closing prayer. This is the next to closing prayer. But let's take a moment, and I want you to preach. I want you to pray for preacher die. And I want you to pray for son. I'll be silent and let you pray in your heart for a moment, and then I'll pray. Holy Father, blessed Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we come to you as the brothers and sisters of Preacher Die and his family, begging that you have mercy on them, that you protect him and his family, 
and that you deliver them from this persecution. Lord, if that is not your will, then we pray that you would give Preacher Die and his family an unwavering faith, work the miracle in their heart that they are able to rejoice, that they do not return evil with evil, but they love their enemies. Bless those who curse them. And Lord, we pray for son. We pray that you would soften his heart and even soften our hearts towards son because deep in our bones, we want him to pay for what he's done. But the truth is, Jesus has paid for what he has done. Let him know that and believe that. Let him be compelled by the kindness of the man he is persecuting. Lord, have mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, My heart has been really stirred as I've studied this passage and... um, There's something inspiring and otherworldly about reading the stories of Christians who've been persecuted or even killed for their faith in Jesus. Um, I frankly could have just read accounts of people. I encourage you to do that. There's something about hearing years after Dietrich Bonhoeffer was killed, hearing the testimony of his executioner and Dietrich Bonhoeffer's demeanor even as he was being hanged. It throws everything into contrast and it makes the things that I find myself getting bent out of shape about seem silly in comparison, you know? Because there are very few things that are worth dying for, but the psalmist says it best in Psalm 63, your steadfast love is better than life. If you're a follower of Christ, It's because at some point you experienced that. That the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I realize a message saying, hey, you're going to be persecuted does not sound like a great call. But I want you to be compelled by the men and women who say, whatever needs to happen is fine because The steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. And it is. If you're a follower of Jesus, I pray that the steadfast love of the Lord would take hold of our lives in such a way that his greatness and his glory is far greater than our being liked or our being successful. I pray that it would take hold of our hearts in such a way that we can rejoice when persecution comes and it truly will come. Second Timothy 3.12 says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And we can't know what shape it will take. Maybe it'll mean being made fun of for being a Jesus freak at school. Maybe it'll mean you're looked down on in your profession or you'll have to make ethical decisions that people will disrespect you for. Maybe you'll be put under house arrest and persecuted on the mission field. But when it comes, I don't want you to be surprised. 
And I don't want you to be angry and vengeful. I want you to be able to rejoice and pray for your persecutors the same way Preacher Die does. Because in the end, we have eternal life. And ours is the kingdom of heaven. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's pray. Holy God, thank you that your love is better than life. Thank you that you've given us something that is worth suffering for, that's worth being persecuted for. And when it comes, as you say it will come, I pray that we'll live through it in a way that our perseverance and our rejoicing is inspiring and compelling to people who don't know you. Lord, I pray that we would abide in you, whatever the cost. Help us, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.